When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For Australian mate, it's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it's Aussie. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Hello everyone and welcome to another massive edition of Road to the Ashes. Thanks to Australian mate, look for the green and gold kangaroos. Simon O'Donnell is my name here at the SEN studios in Melbourne and Ashes hero Steve Harmison from Talk Sport all the way over in the UK is uh, chatting with me as well. Harmy, a big welcome to you as we get another week closer to the Ashes kicking off. Yeah, hello, Simon. Hello, everyone at home. It's it's building nicely. There's been some interesting decisions made this week, and it's, I say, I think, I think people at home don't want the World Test Championship final. And I think People at home definitely don't want the Ireland Test match. June 16 can't, can't come quick enough, and I think the players are like that as well, to be honest. Yeah, it looks a bit that way, doesn't it? Uh, well, big show ahead uh, from our point of view. Uh, Australian opener Marcus Harris will join us uh, from uh, the Aussies, uh, who are in camp. In camp they are, building into the World Test Championship uh, to be played at the Oval in London, and then, of course, the first test kicks off June 16 in the Ashes. Jason Gillespie will also uh, join us. He's got some wonderful memories from uh, his Ashes contest. And also uh, Travis Head and um, the Australian wicketkeeper, um, uh, both under his uh, tutelage in South Australia. So uh, Alex Kerry um, and Travis Head will we'll hear a little bit more and get some insights into them from their state coach in Jason Gillespie. We'll also hear from Stuart Broad and the, the King, the King, Brendan McCullum, the coach of uh, the England team, Basball. We might hear a bit more about that as the show goes on. But, Hummy, uh, let's take uh, one step at a time. And firstly, this World Test Championship final uh, against India is getting closer and closer it's to be played at the Oval. The Aussies have trimmed down their squad this week to 15. Now, the headline in all of that, Michael Nessa, who's been an extraordinary form in county cricket, was in that squad until uh, 48 hours ago, and he's been trimmed. Uh, the Australian fast bowling lineup will be Cummins and Stark with either Hazelwood and or Boland as uh, as the backup to the the two front liners there in in Cummins and Stark. All reads pretty well to me, and a, a bit of sameness from the. And I say that in a nice way, Harmy. You know, these are guys that have performed so well in Test cricket for Australia over the journey. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised, to be honest, Simon, that they've left Michael Nisa out. I would have done that if I was in Australia's shoes. It, it's different when you've got batters. You know, the batters will will want to get in, score some runs and get going. From a bowling point of view, if you can only you only pick 15 going into the World Test Championship, it's like a it's not a warm-up game because it's it's a serious game. But when it comes to it, Michael Nisa's bowled a hell of a lot since he's been in England. He's bowled a lot for Glamorgan. He's in great form. If he's not going to play in your first 11, then there's no point having him in, in the group. You might as well have a, a Scotty Bowling pushing to get in because 
when it comes to the Ashes and June 16 and five test matches in six and a half weeks, Bowling, Hazelwood, Stark, Cummins, they're going to need overs under their belt. Mm. Well, Michael Nice has got them. He's already got them under the belt. So if you're not going to play him in the final, then there's no point having him in the squad because if he's just a backup, then he's got his he's got his numbers in. You know, he's he's his engine's ready to go. Um, so if if I think if something happens between now and then and somebody falls down and gets injured, I'm sure they'll be able to to get him into the squad. And there wouldn't be any um, getting up to speed because he's already up there. I mean, you, you mentioned the the World uh, Test Championship. It's not a warm-up game. I can't help but think it is. And I know that's yeah. terrible. It's just shocking. I mean, th- this is yeah. going to crown the the best test nation in, in the world over the last two years. And here I am saying it's a warm-up game. But there's a sense... In, in my being, that it sort of is. You know, I just want June 16 to get along and you know, good. Like, oh, okay, India won that or Australia won that. That's great. Now let's get down to business. That's terrible, really, isn't it? It is in a way because, like you say, what it means. But I also think that when it comes to the ICC and the way they've, I think they've fallen asleep at the wheel in world cricket over the last five years to let franchise cricket get to where it's got to and basically put international cricket, you know, very much secondary in a lot of players' mind, that this is just another tick in a box for where international cricket's going. Because if if the Ashes was obviously next week, England would have England, all England players would have played first class cricket before before the Ashes. All of Australia's players would have played against Derbyshire's second team and Northampton's second team just to get a game in before the Ashes. But both teams are gone on. Both teams are gone on golfing holders. Both teams are arguably gone on stag trips before <laughs> the Ashes because they know they've got a Test match against Ireland and a Test match against India. So I don't think I don't think we are. I think put, playing it down and saying it's a warm up game because I think both sides are treating it that way anyway. Yeah, it looks it looks a bit that way. Um, the good news, I, I, I think, for for English cricket fans, and yes, the the, the Ireland Test it. Uh, to be played at Lords, Ollie Robinson and Jimmy Anderson aren't going to take their place in that Test lineup, but assured to be there for the the first Test. Everything I read is is good, and um, that both those players are expected to be fully fit come first Test on June sixteen. Yeah, the only my only concern, Simon, is that there's no wokes that no wokes in the Ireland game. Hmm. That would ring alarm bells with me for Anderson. That's the only thing I can think of. The only reason Chris Wokes is not put in is because I expected the bowl attack against Ireland to be Wokes, Broad, Potts and Leach. I didn't expect Ben Stokes to play, but Ben Stokes is going to play. Anderson and Robinson get left out because they're keeping them for for um, for the for the June 16. I expected Broad to be the one that if there was a problem between Anderson and Robinson, and it was a knock-on effect that they were they were going to be in doubt for June 16. Then Broad would have missed out, Tongue would have played, and they would have kept Broad just in case because obviously five test matches, six and a half weeks. But for the reason they've kept Wokes, must mean Anderson must be more of a concern than Robinson. So because of that, I think if you're an England fan, I'd look at my initial thoughts were, no Wokes in the team for Ireland means Jimmy Anderson's Injuries just a little bit more severe than what mm. England are making them out to be. 
And I think they're just keeping Chris Wokes fresh just in case Anderson doesn't make the first test match at Edgebaston. Wokes is home ground and he's got a good record at Edgebaston. You mentioned uh, Josh Tung. He's going to make his test debut for England um, in uh, the absence of, of Ollie Robinson and, and Jimmy mm. Anderson. Now, what, what sort of a bowler is he? And while you're telling us what sort of a bowler he is, I, I want the other compartment in your brain to think, What's the best nickname for Josh Tung? Because I think if we label him here, it's going to stick and off we go. Because from what I understand, he doesn't sort of have a cricketing nickname yet. And I, I think we should take responsibility to make sure that we're the ones that stamp it, that nickname upon him. <laughs> well, the obvious one, you, you said it before we came on air, was obviously wagging, the, the, the wagging tongue. And there's... There's normally a few wagging tongues in dressing rooms, isn't there? Just and, and fast bowlers. You don't mind having a word, you lot. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with that. He's not one of them. He's not one of them fast bowlers who will, will get in your face too much. Um, How quick he's is he? He's a quiet... Pardon? How quick is he? He's he's not quite... He's not Jofra Archer's pace. He's not Mark Wood's pace. But he's the next rung down. So... He would be in the category of of the likes of Cummins and Hazelwood rather than Mitchell Stark. Mitchell mm-hmm. Stark, on his days, as quick, in and around the pace, Archer and, and Wood get through the air. Tongue's just the rung down, the, the Cummins sort of Hazelwood pace, that mid-80s fastball, 88, 89 mile an hour. He's got a bit of pace. He's got a high release point. So he's a bit like Robinson. He's... He's tall. He uses, he utilizes his height well. Where someone like Broad, Broad's tall, Broad's six foot five, six foot six, but he collapses at the crease to Stewart and he doesn't use his height as well as, as what someone like Ollie Robinson does. So Cummins uses his height well, Hazelwood uses his height well, and so does um so does Josh Tung. The thing that Josh Tung's had, the the, the, the history behind him, this kid retired, he'd gone. He he sat with the Players Cricket Association. Last year, or the year before, I think it was, after his third injury, and he he basically was mapping out the rest of his career. He had had operation after operation. And to be fair, he's had Botox, and it's the only Botox, I think, that's been positive, making somebody positive, because he has Botox in his shoulder, I think, every six months, which helps his injury. So, you know, you see some of these glamour models that lips are everywhere and eyes are pulled back and ears are, you know, the faces all, and that's that looks horrendous when it comes to Botox. But fortunately for Josh, this is this is helping him. Um, and he, it was his, to be fair, Simon, that was the, the last chance saloon when it comes to injuries. Now, this was the last diagnosed, this is the only thing that can help you. And wow. it's actually helped him, got him back in position. Did well on the overseas tour, air tour to uh, Sri Lanka with England here. And again, a bit like Pat Cummins. He came on the scene, wow, who's this kid? And then disappeared for five years because of an injury. Now he's back. The boy's talented. It's just whether he can put a run of games together and fingers crossed he can from an England point of view. So if he performed well in that Ireland test, where's that put him? Does it put him in the squad for the for the first test or is that pretty much settled with with Jimmy coming back into the into the team and and um um uh and Robinson Robinson, Robinson you know, just yeah. being rested to be 100% fit for that does does a good performance give him a chance to get into that England squad 
I think a good performance puts him in the we when you when you look at a squad you want, especially when you you're playing five test matches in six and a half weeks, you probably need two bowlers for each position. Now you've got Anderson Robinson and you've got Wood. There's no substitute for Wood. We haven't got one. Mm. Uh, is is there a substitute? Is there a substitute for Pat Cummins? Probably not. Um, you look at you've got Boland that could cover the the, the Mitchell Stark role, um, Josh Hazelwood role. Yeah, Nisa is a different type of bowler. England have got Anderson and Wokes, that pitch up swing bowler. You've got Robinson and Broad, that this sort of tall line bowler. But from a Pierce point of view, with no Archer, no Stone, Josh Tung comes into the the category of well, if Wood misses out, we see Tung playing. So I think he he comes into that group along with Potts that England will look at it. Can we get four test matches out of Mark Wood? We definitely can't get five. And if we if there's the one that he misses out and has to rest on, if the wicket's got a bit in it, Josh Tung has now made his England debut. Mm. If he's done well against Ireland, he probably comes into that category. Okay. Tongue, we've got wagging tongue. Now, over here, I don't know if you're a you're a red meat man, but um, the tongue of like an ox here, a, a big steer here in Australia, yeah. is called offal, O-double-F-A-L. I don't think, I don't reckon that's a bad thing. Hey, offal. Yeah, go hey, offal. Yeah. Leg, offal. <laughs> yeah. I think offal fits. <laughs> Oh, oh, and, oh, and somebody, you know, one of the uh, one of the bowl, one of the other bowlers or one of the fielders fa- falls over one. You can see it. F, F awful. So yeah. <laughs> for Australian mate, it's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it's Aussie. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. Well, time now to go inside the Australian camp as they prepare for a massive couple of months with the World Test Championship, of course, and uh, followed by the Ashes kicking off on June 16. Australian batter Marcus Harris, uh, well, he's got over there and got some early preparation, went into camp early doors. I don't know how much cricket he's played. He's made plenty of hundreds, but he could have made a lot more if they played some more cricket. It's been cold, it's been wet, it's been cloudy, but he's still made time for us today. Marcus, welcome. Hey, boys. How are you going? But, um, you could have made another five hundreds on top of what you've already made this year if you played some cricket. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit hard to bat in flippers, so um <laughs> had to try and make the best of it. But um no, like I just said to Harmy before off air, we, we lost a lot of cricket, but fortunately in the last couple of weeks the weather's really turned around and um was able to have a good hit out a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, everything feels pretty good coming into um the next couple of weeks. Mate, before I let Harmy at you, you've gone into camp in the last day or so uh, over in the UK. Where, where is camp? I just watched some vision last night. I, I assume you're not in London anywhere. You're, you're in one of the counties somewhere? Yeah, we all joined up on uh, Saturday. We're in Liverpool um, at a golf course called Formby Hall. So um, we've played golf for the last like three or four days just so the boys could get acclimatised. And um, we had some a few team meetings and stuff like that. So it's been really good. Um, yeah, I think some blokes have probably played five or six rounds of golf. So... Um, I'm not sure. Oh, Harmy will know definitely, but you know, up north in England, it doesn't get dark till like ten o'clock. So, I think we finished our round last night about quarter past eight, which was pretty cool. 
you mentioned so you mentioned about the golf in that part of the world and to be fair let's talk about golf because it's much better than cricket isn't it really both teams are <laughs> building the building the, the, the going into june 16 with a trip to scotland for golf and uh, formby hall is beautiful we played out play there quite regularly it's a fantastic place but liverpool in that area is not normally uh a cricket and so is this most important thing marcus that you get together to get your plans out of the way because once June 16 comes, trying to alter stuff, five test match, six and a half weeks, has that been mentioned within the group that this is basically the whole shooting match when it comes to preparation? Because once we start, it's just going to be relentless. Yeah, we, we had a chat about it the other day. It's um, I think it's six tests in seven weeks, so everyone knows that it's going to be pretty flat out and pretty full on. Um I think the good thing up this sort of way is not too many people know who the cricketers are, so blokes can sort of get around and do their own thing. Um, it was good yesterday. We had a little training session up at Formby Cricket Club, which was cool, and there was a lot of people come out and watch that. So that was good. But yeah, it's been it's been like a it's a good, it's been a good prep just to sort of be away from everything and not in not in the middle of town and be able to um, you know get together and spend some time with each other. Mike, because you've been part of the last you know, couple of Ashes and, and they probably haven't gone as well as you would have liked them to. You, you've spent time in the team, a little bit of time out of the team. Now, I think it's fantastic the resilience you've showed over the journey you know, and to see you now going over and playing county cricket. You, you seem to always want to continue to improve and better yourself. Am I fair in saying that? And is that something you've taken upon yourself to say, I need to get better to make sure I... Next opportunity I get, I cement that spot. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just the way I was brought up um, as a young kid, um, you know, from my mum and dad, and especially dad was just to, like, you never give up. You just keep having a crack. And um, I think if you do the right things often enough and for long enough that you'll get the opportunity. So um, I know I've spoken about it before, but I remember in 2019 I was really disappointed after that series, but I wasn't. Um, you know, the first thing I thought I'd is I need to get back over and play county cricket and try and prepare myself as best I can to give myself the best opportunity I can. So, um, yeah, like I said, I just like having a crack and I feel like, you know, if you keep doing the right thing for long enough, things will turn around. But um, I've really enjoyed playing over in England um, and it sort of gives you good confidence as a player that where you can come to somewhere where you've struggled before but then find a way to succeed, um, I think it helps you grow as a player as well. So. Hopefully that gives me the best preparation should I get an opportunity at some stage. Marcus, talk to us about the differences in, in batting there at the top of the order to batting at, batting at home. You know, we hear about the Duke ball and the different pitches. From an opener walking out on the first morning of a test match or a county game to walking out on the first morning in Australia of a test match or a Shield game, what are the differences you expect? How do you change your game to cope? Uh, well, it's always... it's Yeah... It's always going to swing over in England with the Duke ball. Um, and then the amount of movement off the seam is probably, uh, you know, more precise than what it is with the Kookaburra. So that's the main thing. But I think as an opening batter, it's pretty simple. You're just trying to play the ball late. I know when I first came over and played county cricket, I kept sort of like chopping the ball onto the stumps because I was playing too far in front of my body, just not used to the slower wickets. Um, so it's just little things like that. Um I think if you listen to Bucky Rogers talk, he speaks about sort of defending straight and scoring square. So just little things like that, giving yourself a bit more time, um, assessing conditions. Uh, and it's a, it's a great place to bat England once you get in, but you're just going to, you're going to have some days where you're going to struggle a little bit, but um, 
yeah, and then with the with the Duke ball, the big, biggest team on it tends to you know always nip around a little bit. So probably just have to be a bit more precise with your batting, I'd say, than what you do with the Kookaburra ball. And Marcus, in your preparation, it's been it's been a good preparation. A um, couple of hundreds, you've played against some decent bowling attacks. It seems as though you've got you've had the perfect preparation going into this test series because one of the first games you got all four days washed out at Yorkshire. You got acclimatized to being in England. And then you've come up against Sussex, which is a decent bowling attack. For Morgan's not a bad bowling attack. And then you got a hundred against my my oh, my team, Durham. And that Durham bowling attack, that's a good bowl, that's as good a bowling attack you'll get in the second division. Is that the perfect preparation going into what is going to be this tour? Yeah, it has been, Harmony. I remember um Last year, I reckon by this time of the season, I feel like I'd fielded five million overs. And now I think um, this year, fortunately, with the rain a little bit, we haven't spent too much time outside <laughs> in the dirt. So, um, yeah, it's been a good challenge. Yeah, that Durham attack was a really good attack, um, especially in Division 2. They're definitely not a Division 2 side. They're a bit better than that. So that was good. But just like I said, it's been good to be able to have three years of county cricket under my belt. Um just, you know, going into this series especially, but just to be able to be over here and be playing all the time. Um, and I love playing over here, so it's been enjoyable and it's been good for my cricket. Marcus, how do you guys mentally approach the, the two challenges ahead? One being the World Test Championship and then and, and then the Ashes. So, I mean, how do you stop thinking ahead to June 16 and, and stay focused on, on what is a re- such an important game coming up at the Oval in the next few days. Yeah, it can be hard to separate them a bit with them being so close together, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll start training tomorrow. So all of our prep in the next week or so will be all about uh, the India test and then we'll worry about the Ashes after that. So I think with it being such a big test, um, I think you probably argue England playing against Ireland, they're probably looking to us a bit more than what they are looking at Ireland, whereas we got such a big test match with the final against India. That's our main focus, so... Um, and it'll be a great reward for the team to be able to win that test championship, um, you know, just for a sustained good period of cricket over the last two years. So that's the main goal of the team. And then, yeah, we start the Ashes after that. And Marcus, do you look at what England have selected for the Ireland test match and go, well, we know you probably knew that Anderson, Robinson and Wood was going to be in that that first Ashes test match. But is it now as a as a team do you do you start start having one eye on it, or is it just total? We mentioned total focus on India, but does that concrete selection now we can start planning that? Anderson, Robinson, and Wood are probably going to play in the first Test match. Now we've picked Tung; he's probably going to play at some point. So he's looking for footage of a lot of footage of Josh Tung to sort of get your mind and brain ready just in case you have to come up against him. Yeah, I think we we know that they're going to have probably four, five, or six bowls that they can go to um, that we've all would have played against. So there won't be any surprise come that first test um, against us, whatever combination they go with. Um, and then a few of us have been fortunate enough to play against Josh Tung this year in county cricket. So we'll have a bit of a reference point for that for if he happens to play against us. So we know they got a lot of good bowlers, and especially in their condition. So, but we'll be prepared for whatever they throw at us. So you got a nickname, Josh Tung. Okay. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know him. <laughs> Didn't hear him refer to him, you know, wagging or awful or no, I don't know. tripe or I anything like that. With tonguey. I think it was just tonguey. <laughs> I've taken the free. What, what did you make of him, Marcus? What did you make of him? Because not yeah, many. I thought he, I thought he seen nothing of him. him. Not many people have seen anything of him. Yeah, he's he was. Um, 
I hadn't. I've heard his name, but I'd never seen him bowl before. Um, and we played him on Worcester, not a great wicket, and he, um, yeah, he definitely has good pace about him. Tall, bit of bounce. Um, generally went across the left hander, but he could bring it back in. So he looks like a decent package. Um, it feels like England are starting to build up a fair few like good uh, sort of young bowls that have got good pace about them. So there's obviously blokes like Braden Cast at Durham as well and Potsy. So um, they've got a few to pick from. Are we going to have a full um, array of fast bowlers to pick from? Josh Hazlitt, I saw him bowling at practice yesterday. He looked fine to me. Does he look fine to you, Marcus? Yeah, they all bowled really well yesterday at training. So um, I think they all look good. And then Hoff was smacking drives about 300 metres on the <laughs> golf course yesterday. So I reckon his side's all right. So, um, yeah, I think we should have a full array to pick from, hopefully. Uh, the, the the Ashes, you know, compare it to a, a, you know, a, a South African tour of Australia, which, you know, has only just gone by. You know, why does it, why does it hold such high esteem amongst the players that take part in Ashes series? Oh, I think it's the history of it. And, um, you know, growing up as a young kid in Australia, the first thing you're, you know, you're taught anything about cricket is Australia versus England. So I can still remember like the first big prominent series for me was that 2005 series and watching that. And it's what, what dreams are made of for every single kid. So, um, and then just the history of the, of the whole thing. So, and then once you're apart, it's such an amazing atmosphere, especially over here. I know it's great at home, but in England on the smaller grounds with the big crowds and um, just the way that it's the game's played and the competition, uh, it's just it's the biggest thing we can play. And I know some <laughs> some people are speaking about the Border Gavaskar Trophy being close, but I just, in my opinion, I don't think it is. I think um, this is the pinnacle for especially Australians and England English cricketers. So it's just great to be a part of and to be over in, in the middle of it in England's great. And what are your, your your hopes and aspirations of you know the in, I guess it's on on Talksport on the Korean Collective if Marcus Harris was to look into the crystal ball and thought this is the big that this is the grand plan for my six weeks what would it be at the end other than holding the Ashes aloft? Oh, just hopefully to be like I think what I said to you then, Harmony, is just to be a part of the team and um, hopefully play a part in some way, shape, or form and help, helping us win the series. So. Um, just doing the right thing all the time. If you're not playing, being a good squad member, then if you're playing, just contributing in one way or another. So that's what my goal is. And yeah, like I said, hopefully in six weeks we can be holding the trophy up. Marcus, it's going to be a, excuse me, it's a little tongue tied. Excuse that with Josh tongue, tongues <laughs> waiting. Um, um, we, we really wish you well. It's going to be a fantastic uh, six or seven weeks. Um, coming up with the World Test Championship and, and of course, the Ashes. A, a brilliant time to be over in the UK. Congratulations on, firstly, being in the squad and and genuinely the determination that uh, you put into making yourself a better cricketer and a permanent part of that Australian eleven. Uh, we congratulate you for that and thank you for giving you some time today on Road to the Ashes. No worries, boys. Thank you. Cheers, Marcus. Marcus Harris Cheers, boys. joining us there. Now, Hummy, the way... Harry sort of, you know, talks to you. I feel as if, you know, you've spent a bit of time with him. Have you had a jar or two with him or something at some stage? Have you? Yeah, we had, we had a conversation like this a few weeks ago on on the Cricket Collective. And like I said then, and not just because he's sitting here, it's 
when when you have an individual player who is not just trying to get into the team, but once he gets in the team, makes a a fist of it as best you possibly can a preparation. And that's why I brought the preparation up. Costa's preparation has gone from, and they've gone against bone attacks who are getting better and better week upon week. For me, that is a sign of somebody who wants to be the best prepared possible. So if you've, if you pass that test and score runs, then you've done you, you've done your homework. If you feel that test and you don't score runs because a bowlers a bowl, well, where you can look at yourself in the mirror. And I'm always being a believer of an individual that you look in yourself in the mirror, tell the man in the mirror the honest truth. And I couldn't have done any better preparation. And I think that's what Marcus Harris has done so far to get, like Manus Labashir and like Steve Smith have done to get against English bowlers in English conditions. So I wish him well for that because that's what a true proper professional does. A couple of weeks ago when you came on with that red face after a big English cricket dinner on that uh, Friday night, I would like when you looked in the mirror, mirror the next morning, I would have exactly. wondered what came so out of your mouth. See the man than, in the mirror oh, next dear morning. me. Oh, hell. <laughs> Marcus, thanks for coming on. Great to chat. For Australian mate, it's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it's Aussie. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroos. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. Well, the coach that's been making all the headlines and having all the success in recent times with this England team is Brendan McCullum. Uh, we look forward to uh, what the England team bring to the Ashes and uh, what polish the coach puts on them. And this week, uh, we we're lucky enough to speak with uh, Brendan and here's some of the things he had to say. Look, Australia's a very good lineup, right? They're um, world-class bowlers. Um, they've been a, a very good team for a long period of time, and they'll be a, a formidable challenge for us. Um, but it's a challenge that we're really looking forward to. It's what it's what you want to play sport for, right? You want to be playing against the best and in the biggest series and on the biggest stage. And there's no greater opportunity than than what lies in front of us in the next six to eight weeks. So we'll see. Um, from our point of view, we don't go into to uh, prescribe to with our, our method it's about trying to ensure that we're nice and free of mind and and, uh, and being able to live in the present and, and deal with what comes our way if that's a high scoring rate great if it's not well that's great too we'll just see what happens and you know, everywhere you go it's, there's people talking about how how great this summer's going to be and I think you know that's testament to both teams too right I think it's such an anticipated series because well it always is the ashes I'm sure but on this particular occasion because of how both teams are coming into this with the belief in their games and the quality of players that both sides possess. I think that creates that anticipation and, and maybe a level of expectation as well. But that's what you want, right? It's, it's a great honour to be in the position that we're in, to be able to try and hopefully entertain and inspire people to, to want to follow this team, want to, want to be a part of this sport and, and to hopefully try and captivate some people um, that may not have been uh, necessarily that keen on, on cricket or maybe not have been grabbed beforehand to have that opportunity is something that we're immensely proud of and we'll hope to do everyone, well, to do everyone proud. I mean, really interesting listening to Brendan McComb. I, I, I like listening to him talk cricket. And just as a coach, I mean, it takes an enormous amount of courage for a player to play free of mind and, and just take the game on. I think it takes just as much courage for a coach to be able to instill that in his team that it's okay to be able to go out and do that. I think he's quite a special communicator and could be a very special coach in time. I think he's a very, very special coach. I think he's a, you know you talk about a, 
communicate that. I think he's a, just a very, very special person. I think that's the key quality to uh, your coach. If you can believe in your coach, you know what it's like, Sam, when you, you, you sit in the dressing room, and I'm, I'm sure you, your son in a, who plays a different sport, their coach is the most important thing in that dressing room. And if that coach, you can believe in that coach and that coach can instill confidence in you and that coach can strip away all the baggage from the outside and make it as simple as you you put your boots on, you go out there and have a good time and enjoy what is the best time of your life, the best time of your career playing the sport at the highest level. McCollum seems to have that trait. He just Mm. seems to be, you seem to be able to believe in what he's saying. He's not off the wall. He's not baffling you with science. He's not trying to play the game for you. He's just trying to see the, trying to get you to see the ball if you're a batter through the easiest eyes possible and strip all the way from it's swinging, it's moving, it's seaming, it's they've got four slips and all the pressure of that and just play the ball in a natural way and same with the ball inside of it. So the biggest thing McCullum's got is Stokes because you then have to have a captain who not only buys into it because we've seen many, many times throughout the history of the game of cricket where the captain and the coach don't see eye to eye. They don't have the same methodology when it comes to the planning of the game. They see the game played differently and the bloke who stands there and coaches you has no connection with the bloke who takes you on the field and makes all the decisions. These two see the game in the same way. And a lot down to the fact that the way Ben Stokes has played in the last 12 months, I think the way he has played has been a point to prove to get to June 16. So all this crash bang wallop, we're going positively, and Ben Stokes is probably the one that's played. Not the worst, but he's been got out, the dismissals he's got out with in, in the sort of worst fashions. But I think that's a message he's telling his team to go out and play this way because we back you, we believe in you, and we're not bothered about you making mistakes because we want you to be as free as possible and not suffer negative consequences. Let's be positive. Let's go forward. So the two of them hand in hand have been so good for England. You talk of uh, crash bang wallop. Uh, there hasn't been a, a ball bowled in anger yet or hit in anger as yet, but Stuart Broad, he's an absolute beauty. He's got plenty of experience. He loves just stirring the pot if he can. And our own Scott Taylor from Talk Sport caught up with Stuart Broad recently as he prepares for yet another Ashes summer. I mean, 05 inspired me for sure. That was my first year as a as a professional, and uh, I, I, there's no doubt I watched that series, wanting to desperately be a part of it. And I'm with you. I think this is the most anticipated series since then. Uh, Australia in a great run of form, made the Test Championship final, have played brilliant cricket throughout the Australian summer, and um, I've got a pretty experienced team that that we've played against a lot of their their players for a long period of time. And England have, have had England's one of England's best ever years and are playing a style of cricket that is addictive to watch and incredible to see, you know, scoring four or five hundred in a day at times, um, taking wickets, scoring runs and taking great catches. So, yeah, there, there's no doubting that, that this series is, uh, is highly anticipated and so it should be. I've heard you in the past, especially when you're approaching 500 test wickets, so I don't really care about the milestones really but how important is legacy for you especially because this ashes there's no football tournament this summer so it's a real chance to inspire the next generation I guess just like the team in 05 did yeah and, and we can do that with our style of play you know you can't you can't predict and you can't control results but you can control your style of play and we will commit to playing 
uh, Brendan McCullum and, and Ben Stokes's mentality, and uh, that will be inspiring. You know, we can make England cricket the the country that 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 plays this attacking format, not just at the top level in the men's team, but the the women's hundred teams, the the county cricket, the kids coming through at under fifteen level. If we can get inspired, if you can see Ben Stokes, Joe Root um, playing this style, then as a fourteen-year-old, you want to copy that, and then that's that that then stands uh, English cricket in a great place in, in the future. So yeah, yeah, obviously we're in a results-driven business at Top Flight Sport, but ultimately our style of play is the most important thing that counts for us this summer, uh, and we can inspire generations with our style. You're coming up to 600 test wickets. I won't ask you about milestones. I know you've talked about it in the past, but what keeps you going now? Because you're, you're 36, you'll be 37 during the Ashes series. What keeps you going every day? And has that changed since becoming a dad? Uh, competitive spirit keeps me going. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, ad- I'm addicted to the competitive side of sport uh, and it's actually got easier mentally I think with Annabella in my life because um, I think in professional sport you can get in your own bubble and in your own head a lot about building up how important it is to perform and actually if you if you bowl badly then everyone's judging you whereas I think since I've had Annabella I realized that my family's my world and actually whether I bowl badly she's not judging me she you know I still give her a bath and a kiss before bed and and she's happy so um I think it's taken pressure off me because I'm not judging my cricket so much you don't have time really (laughs) there's so much other stuff going on um and ultimately yeah I I think I know I've that competitive fire still burning strong um and I know I'm a good cricketer when that competitive fire's there. So uh, I feel in a brilliant place for this summer. I feel really happy. I feel very fresh. I feel very focused. And I'm delighted the Aussies are coming over. There's no doubt about it. He's an evergreen, Hummy. He just seems to, he wants more and more. You know, unfortunately, AIDS will weary him, but it's not wearying him at the moment. It's not, no. But he's picking on the wrong man. I'd have picked on Nathan Lyon if I was Stuart Broad, the way he bats at the minute. I think I might have just picked on... I wouldn't have picked on Mitchell Stark. It was like, it was like you know, talking you know, talking in my day of having a go at Brett Lee. Well, I might have got to go at Warney because he might make me look foolish, but Brett might hurt me. Um, they, it's a good little to and fro, that. It really was. You know, Stuart said to me, Mitchell Stark's come back. Stuart's had another, another little pop. It's fantastic leading into the Ashes. Um, I'd rather have seen him have a go at Warner, but he's kept David Warner a little bit quiet um, at the minute. And the great thing about Stuart, Simon, is that when he's when he's not playing or when he thinks he's not going to play, he makes his mouth go that little bit more just to tell the selectors, I'm not going anywhere just yet. Time for an Ashes odds update, thanks to Betfair. Back or lay test cricket only at Betfair. What's gambling really costing you? Tom Haylock from Betfair joins me. It's getting close. I'm very excited. England, Australia starts on the 16th. Uh, England heading into the series at the moment. It's been fluctuating a little bit. but very short, uh, very close favourites. $2.24 at the moment to win the series. Australia, $2.36. The drawn series. 
series, $7.20. I wonder what's the test match between Australia and India, the World Test Championships, uh, going to have and what effect that will have on the Ashes market. But Australia head into that uh, match coming up on June 7 at $2.04. India, $2.90. The draw, $5.80 there. So that's going to have an impact on the Ashes market. The first test, England, about the same, $2.38. Australia, $2.50. The draw, $5.50. Head to betfair.com.au. You can find better odds on test cricket at Betfair. Play your way. What's gambling really costing? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelpline.org.au. For Australian mate, it's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it's Aussie. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes across the SEN network and talk sport, of course, over there in the UK. All thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. Well, I'll tell you, someone uh, who represented the green and gold with, with great pride over the journey, South Australian paceman Jason Gillespie. He had a, a wonderful um, Ashes career, did some fantastic things, particularly over in the UK. I think there was a 7-4 at Headingley back in 1997. But uh, it's uh, my pleasure to welcome Dizzy to Road to the Ashes, a... a, a um, a se- or series you enjoyed, I'm sure, very much during your career, Diz. Oh yeah, thanks, Scoob, and thanks for having me, and uh, and good day to Harmy. Um, yeah, look, absolutely. Uh, playing Ashes cricket is just one of the the great things. It's it's one of the the highlights of of a player's career. I think not just speaking from an Australian perspective, but also uh, an English cricketer's perspective. You know, playing the Ashes is is one of the real highlights um, in, in cricket. You, you, you look on the calendar and lock those in and uh, yeah, very exciting. Whether it is in Australia or in the UK, it's, uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. As much as I'd love to talk about your 200, your Test 200, <laughs> no, we're going we're gonna to bypass that, okay? I, I, just, I, I don't want you to think we're being rude That's by wise. not mentioning it and not sort of you know, <laughs> no, labouring okay, the, going through it ball by ball. But tell us about your seven well, for Headingley. I remember it. it. Sorry, I was just saying I've kept it to about an hour now. We don't have that time. So, saying that, saying that, Simon, that Damien Fleming on last week, and the first thing he said to to Simon was about his highest score, and obviously. 40, 48, he kept mentioning 48 and Flems was over 50 and Simon was like, Army, what's your highest score in Test Cricket? And I went 49, that was it, show finished. You can't get lower. Dizzy, you can't get lower than that, mate. When when Harmy at 11, (laughs) the world record holder of not outs at 11, 11, I repeat, 11, that's the last bloke in the team, when he gets a Test 49, oh, that's it for me, I'm done, I'm cooked. I now know I could never play. Sorry, Diz. What was it like at Headingley anyway in 97? Get on with it. Yeah, that, look, that was a, a, a great experience. Um, having first time I'd been uh, to the UK and first time I'd been to Leeds. And um, I suppose it, it was the, the first part of my, I suppose, uh, a long and fun journey in Yorkshire. Uh, obviously played there in Ashes. Uh, I was fortunate enough to... Um, be a overseas pro for Yorkshire County Cricket Club, and uh, then I was I was uh, fortunate enough to to coach the club. So 
Um, it was probably the start of a uh, a great relationship with the Yorkshire, uh, with Leeds and the Yorkshire County Cricket Club and, and Yorkshire. So great memories. Uh, remember getting um, seven for. I got a bit lucky on occasions. I, I remember uh, John Crawley hit a half volley onto Greg Blewett's toe and it popped up and he caught it. Um, and you know a couple of dragons and caught down leg side and I finished with really good figures, but. Gee, I was lucky, Scoop. I got away with a bit. I did bowl quick, but I did get a bit lucky. <laughs> Dizzy, you mentioned you mentioned sort of playing for Yorkshire and coaching Yorkshire. And Simon, you got me out of retirement to go and play for Yorkshire for four games. I one, I couldn't bowl a hoop downhill, and two, they didn't have a shirt big enough to fit me <laughs> to play in them four games at the end of a season. But during that time, Diz, you had you had a very young you had a very young side. I think that's what you brought me in for. Um, a very young Johnny Bairstow, a very young Joe Root. Um, at Sussex, you had Ollie Robinson. Australia, you had obviously South Australia, Travis Head and Alex Carey. And I think what I'm, the way I'm getting to this is you've seen inside with some of the characters that are playing in this series. Um, just talk us through about one or two of the, the, the characters and where you think this series could potentially go and just talk about them characters itself who you've had close dealings with. Yeah, I, yeah, there's a few, Harmy, and uh, you know, been very fortunate to to play a small role and, and or see them uh, learn and grow and develop. And um, Travis Head um, has had a had an interesting career to date. He's he's moved around the order a bit. He got an opportunity to open after being left out in India um, after playing a full summer in Australia. Um, what Travis has shown is his uh, willingness to to be open to feedback and change and adapt and adjust, find a way to succeed in any conditions on on any surface against any type of bowling. And um, that stems from, I think, the backing he was given uh, a long time ago when he first started for South Australia as a 17-year-old. He was given a good run. He didn't set the world on fire. It was clear he was a talent, but he just needed the opportunity to grow and develop and make his mistakes and 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 develop that resilience. And, and I think that's what Travis has done. And I think he's in a real sweet spot of his career uh, for Australia now um, because he does have that resilience. He's had that backing and support, you know, from all the way through. He's captain South Australia for many years now. Um, so, look, he's got that leadership as well, that leadership piece. So, look, he'll... I, I expect big things from Travis Head. I think he, he's, he's in a great spot of his career. Um, and I think... Um, with the the way England are looking to play, looking to play with pretty good batting surfaces and fast outfields and short boundaries, I think it plays into the hands of not just Travis Head but a number of the um, of the uh, Australian players. Um, another guy you mentioned, Ollie Robinson. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, give him his debut uh, in T Twenty cricket um, for Yorkshire against Lancashire. Uh, his job was to come in and bowl Yorkers at the death. That was his that was his role in the team. And he just turned up and, and did that job. Um, he got a bit homesick up, up in, in Yorkshire. Um, so he ended up going back down to Kent, where he's originally from, where he's the Kent Academy, and then found himself at Sussex, which isn't far from Kent, um, and has forged himself a great career. I think the, the, the wonderful thing I noticed from when I'd been with him at Yorkshire and then saw him at Sussex is just how much he'd matured and grown as a, as a cricketer and as a person. Um, I've often said this about Ollie Robinson um, and people raise their eyebrows a bit. I, I think he's one of the most prepared and planned fast bowlers I've come across in cricket. Um, he does a lot of research. He watches a lot of footage. He 
looks at numbers. Um, he identifies weaknesses of opposition, opportunities where he can take wickets. He's really ruthless like that. And, and it probably surprises people because he's quite a laid-back character with a laid-back demeanour. But underneath that laid-back character, I suppose, traits, is a, is a very determined um, young man and uh, very well planned out and um, likes to really deep dive into into his opposition analysis. And, and that's why it's not a surprise to me that he's having some success and, uh, you know, he's, he's developed really good professional habits, um, which are needed to succeed uh, in international cricket. You, you need to be robust and resilient and strong, uh, be able to get through um, spells, days, plays, back up consistently. And, and Ollie Robinson's doing that very well at the moment. Something going on in the water there in South Australia. As Travis said, he loves to get on with it. Does he? And, and you know, Alex Carey, same thing. I mean, they're, they're players that are, that are um, you know, have an air of confidence about them, not overconfidence, but, you know, really back themselves in in times of crisis which which is 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 great to see is that a, a quality you think both of them have got yeah scoob absolutely and and that's that's something that they talk about a lot is really backing and trusting their game and in in conditions obviously you have to adjust and adapt your game to varying conditions and uh, against different bowling attacks but ultimately um you know, when in my experience, when I've seen these guys succeed, it's been because they've had a game plan and really trusted it. And everyone around, teammates, coaching staffs, batting coaches, the like, have, have just got complete trust and faith in them to allow them to go and fulfill that role. And does he just, just finally on this series, on this Ashes series, and come on to some sort of memories in a second, but where do you see it going? I, I, I think it's too close to call with a couple of injuries that England have got now and the depth not there because of Joffre not playing and one or two other bowlers England haven't got. Where do you see this series won and lost? Yeah, great question, Harmin. I've been battling that as well. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think it will be a close series. I, just the reports I'm hearing out of the UK, and you can correct me if I'm wrong there, mate. Um, hearing that... Uh, McCullum and Stokes have been speaking to ground staff at the, around the around the um, counties, uh, the test grounds, and saying they would like surfaces that are going to be more bat, batsman friendly. They're going to bring the uh, bring the ropes in, have the outfields you know nice and fast. Um, and I just wonder if that takes a little bit away from the strength of the what the English team is. They've got wonderful seam bowlers in, led by Broad Anderson and Robinson, who can swing and seam the ball, the Duke cricket ball in English conditions. I just wonder if the surfaces are more suited to batting. Yes, it might free up their batsmen to be able to play through the line and and continue on this aggressive um, plan that they've got. Um, I just wonder if it plays into Australia's hands a little bit more. Um, The Australian batsmen are probably more suited to those conditions um, and the Australian bowlers have probably got more consistent experience in those conditions, having that that probably emulates more the conditions they're used to playing on, not only in Australia, but, you know, when they travel uh, to other parts of the world. So, yeah, close to call, no doubt. But I I just wonder what the first surface we're going to see at Edgebaston is going to be uh, and how both teams are going to play. Former Australian fast bowler Jason Gillespie joins us here on Road to the Ashes. Did you played in four Ashes series? Was was there a a favourite one for you out of those four? Uh, look, look, they're all all great, and um, 
I think I remember O two three in Australia. We, we actually won the series. I think we we had a couple of four day tests and a three day test, and um, you know the series was over. We, we, we were we were at the height of our powers. We were playing wonderful cricket. Um, that that was a great series to play. Um, you always look through rose coloured glasses as well. Your first series, so that England ninety seven, which we reflected on before. I remember that quite fondly. Um, and obviously the 05 series, it, it didn't go our way. Harmies mobbed there and <laughs> took, home the, took home the Vickies, that, that series. But that was a – I was talking to someone about this recently that I noticed a big difference in the England side 05 Ashes. And Harmy may be able to touch on this, but there was just a different feel about the group. It just felt – and we'd never felt that as an Australian side before. They just there was a bit more urgency about everything that England did. So much so, like even the first test which we won at Lords, there was still that England would normally go out in dribs and drabs going out onto the field. And Palmy, I don't know if it's something you guys had made a real point of doing, but when when England were in the field, and it may sound like a little thing, Scoob, but it, it was really noticeable that. As soon as the umpires walked out there, Michael Vaughan was straight out there and the bowlers, everyone was straight out there. They got into a huddle, quick chat. Then they all literally run to their fielding positions. The bowler would run and hand his cap to the umpire. And before our batters were out on halfway out onto the ground, the whole England team was set up, ready to play, ready to rock. Um, and in the past, the, the little things, the things we'd noticed as a team was that our batters would be out there marking centre, chatting, ready to go. And England are still walking out onto the ground. So I don't know if that was a specific thing you guys spoke about, Harmy, but I know as an opposition player, that was something I picked up on. Yeah, the the, the difference between that and probably 2-3 and 0-1 and, and 99 or 97 was in 2005, we were a team. We'd grown up as a team. We played as a team and we behaved off the field like a team. In yeah. 97, 2001, 2002, three, you had a lot of selfish characters playing for England. Some great cricketers, don't get me wrong. But when you look at, and I've, I've got no problem saying this, but you look at the likes of Nasser and others and Thorpey and Corky, Darren Goff, Andy Caddick, there was a group of individuals playing, and playing pulled together as a team where you look at 2005, we were a team. You looked at your, your boys, your boys were a team. You might have had in-fight differences, but and and we never picked up once that you know Jason Gillespie was not talking to Glenn McGrath because there was something going on, or Jason Gillespie was not talking to Adam Gilchrist because something was going on. This was the white lines there. We go over at all eleven and we take you on, and that's why I felt my first series, Simon, in two thousand and two three. I remember going to Perth. I think it was the tenth day of the Test series, and we were the Ashes was beat. We were beat. And I remember facing Dizzy at Perth, and I was, I'm young. I, this is my third test match. Wasn't the and day you got 49, went, was it? No, it wasn't. I, that wasn't. I, I didn't even, 49. I didn't even think I was there for 49 <laughs> seconds, never mind 49 minutes. This thing went whizzing past my nose, and I'm thinking, whoo, this is test cricket. Here we go. Because it was one of the first balls of first in test cricket. And then I went down the other end, and Brett Lee was bowling from down doctor at, at, uh, at Perth. And this thing went a little bit faster. And I must admit, Dizzy, I was like, I quite fancy Jason Gillespie's end because I don't fancy Brett's end. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Dizzy's going to make me foolish, but Brett's going to kill me. He really is going to hurt me here. So that was my early initial mess, sort of moments in international cricket with the great man, Jason Gillespie. 
Diz, tell us what you're up to now. Um, coaching South Australia, you you had a good period of time involved in in, in English cricket. Um, what's uh, what's keeping you uh, around the cricketing circles at the minute? Yeah, Scoob. Uh, look, I, as you said, I'm I'm coaching South Australia. We finished our third season there, and just doing our prep for our uh, pre-season. Um, so putting all those plans in place, we've got players actually all around the world. Um, you know, I don't think there's many states in Australia would have uh, have three uh, of their quick bowlers playing county cricket at once, which we had in uh, Wes Agar, Nathan McAndrew, and Jordan Buckingham. So that was a bit of a feather in our cap and. Um, you know, we've shown signs of progression, which has been great. We we um, we won a couple of games of Shield Cricket uh, last year when we didn't, you know, win in the previous seasons. Uh, we made a one-day final against WA, but, you know, we're, not, we're under no illusions. We've got improvements to make. And, you know, WA have been the benchmark for the last couple of years, the last few years in, in Australian cricket. So we're certainly uh, looking to see what they do and, you know, how we can... Uh, Better them, I, I suppose, going forward. So, so that's going to be a, a challenge for us. Um, but also, coach South Australia, uh, uh, the Adelaide Strikers in the Big Bash League. I've done that for eight seasons now, eight Big Bash editions, and and thoroughly enjoy that. Um, you know, hopefully we can uh, we can have a really good uh, good season. We, we we played pretty poorly last uh, last Big Bash, which was a shame. We showed glimpses of of how good we could be bowling out the Sydney Thunder for 15 runs, which was an extraordinary uh, <laughs> game to to be there, but to witness. Um, but in amongst you know those good moments, we had some pretty poor moments and and finished near the bottom of the table. So we've certainly got improvements to make. But for a, uh, I absolutely love coaching. I, I love working with players to help get better. I love uh, working with uh, support staffs and you know exploring ways to how we can help players improve and get better and uh, and, and and the team get better. So um, that's what gets me up each day. It's good. Well, um, it's good to see your, your smiling face and hear a bit of uh, crispness, crispness in the voice. Plenty of enthusiasm, Diz. It's uh, always been there and it's still there, which is great to see. So we wish you well with South Australia, the strikers, and we know you'll be watching intently what this uh, Ashes series has in store in 2023. Night. Really looking forward to it, Scoob. I'm actually sneaking over. I've got a tour group for the first two test matches at uh, Edgebaston and Lords, so I'm going to be over there. So I'll oh, see firsthand, and uh, I'll uh, and Harmy, if you're floating around, I'll come and say hello, big fella. No <laughs> I'll be definitely def- be floating around, and yeah. we can carry on our we can carry on our drinking from the end of the Yorkshire days, my friend. Uh, and, and <laughs> Sounds very good. Not only do we gamble you, responsibly, we drink responsibly too. You two. Okay. <laughs> Dizzy, thanks for your time. Great to chat. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Good on you. Jason Gillespie joining us there. Uh, and uh, great to hear from uh, from Dizzy, who's a, a very much a, an important part uh, in the uh, Cricket Australia wheel and, uh, and looking after youngsters that are, are striving to get their chance to play for Australia. Well, that's it for another edition of Road to the Asses. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold. Kangaroo will be back next week as we build up closer to the first test at Edgbaston on June 16. Army, good night, good morning, whatever time it is to you over there. What we came up with, with wagging, awful, and I'm going to whack tripe in there as well for young tonguey. Right, so, yeah, that'll be all good ones, and I've got, we can't wait. To, I'd look, I'm looking forward to getting his debut out the way. Because June 16 can't come quick enough. Uh, Looking forward to June 16. This is Road to the Ashes. Look forward to chatting to you next week.